Good morning. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 32, and I will read from the end of the chapter chapter, uh, momentarily. It is good to be together around the Word of God, and I'm glad that you're here to be part of that. Uh, if If you're here for the first time or the second time, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting from college, like Jeremy and Grace and Kaylin and Hannah, we're glad that you're here. And if you're old in the Lord, or young in the Lord, or not even sure where you stand with the Lord, I'm glad that you are here this morning and you have the opportunity to hear the Word of God. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. We're in the midst of a long series on the book of Genesis, and this is where our passage uh, is today. So Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22, Holy Scripture says, the same night he arose and took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, The people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would meet with us now in a powerful, sanctifying, transformative way. Pray that you would impress the truth of your word upon the depths of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How do you prepare to meet the person or the situation that you fear? When, when you are greatly afraid of some circumstance or, or some distressing thing or person is 
pressing against you. How do you proceed? What steps do you take? Perhaps you become so preoccupied with your fear that you are effectively paralyzed from doing anything. Or perhaps you take practical steps in order to manage your fears and cope with them a little bit better. Or perhaps you are tempted to turn back from the course that has led you to this place and you turn around and you flee and you run away from your fear. But perhaps you, you stay the course. Perhaps you press on. Perhaps you lean into the Lord and trust Him to get you through. How do you prepare to meet your fears? Remember, as we come to this part of Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is on the path of obedience. The, the, the Lord has told him, after 20 years in Haran, the Lord has told him to return to Canaan. And Jacob followed instructions. So he, he's on the path of obedience, and on that path of obedience, he had to meet Esau again, the brother that he had enraged 20 years earlier, the brother who wanted to kill him. Obedience to God and returning to the land of Canaan meant passing through the land of Esau and meeting with Esau. And, and Jacob was overwhelmed with fear. That's the, that's the context of our passage there in verse 7 of, of chapter 32. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. What did Jacob do when he was greatly afraid and distressed? Well, we, we saw a couple weeks ago, he, he, he did three or four things. First, he took the practical step of dividing his camp into two companies in order to minimize losses. If one company gets attacked, perhaps the other company will, be, will escape. That was in, in verse, verses 7 and 8. Secondly, he stood on God's promise. He remembered God's faithfulness, and he asked God to come through for him and to deliver him from Esau. That was in verses 9 through 12. And then in verses 13 to 21, Jacob took another practical step. He prepared a very large gift, 580 animals, separated into five droves, and began to march them ahead of him to Esau, hoping that he would appease or pacify Esau through this large... It's evident in all this that Jacob is pressing forward on the path of obedience. He's not turning back. He's not running in the opposite direction. He is steadily moving toward Esau. He is remaining on the path of obedience. Now, so far, so good. Practical step, trusting God, practical step, remaining obedient. That's good. But something else very important is about to happen before Jacob actually meets Esau, which he will do in chapter 33. Notice something about the way that chapter 32 unfolds. Before Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to Esau in verse 3, God sent messengers, angels, 
ahead of him to Jacob in verse 1. Now, when, when you, you know, Jacob, when he sent messengers to Esau, the idea was is that those messengers were going before him, but eventually Jacob was going to meet Esau directly. So, God sending his messengers ahead of him to Jacob clues us into the fact that God intends to meet Jacob directly. And the order is very important. God sends his messengers to meet Jacob before Jacob sends his messengers to meet Esau. And God is going to meet with Jacob before Jacob meets with Esau. So, again, we're reminded that God went before Jacob and prepared Jacob to meet Esau. And he will do the same for you in all kinds of unique and varied ways. God will go before you and prepare you to meet your trials and to face your fears. Only trust him. Now, Let's walk through this, this, uh, this text, and I want to begin with this, this point uh, in view of verse, verses 22 to the beginning of verse 24, and it's, here's the point. There, there are times when you will be left alone for your good. Last week, uh, Nathan shared a good message about the importance of corporate prayer and doing life together as a, as a family, as a church family, being in covenant fellowship with one another through Christ. All of that is very, very important. And yet, it is also important at times to stand alone before the Lord. How that aloneness comes about can vary from situation to situation. You might be left alone because you intended to be left alone. You, you, you might be left alone because others have forsaken you. You might be left alone just as a matter-of-fact part of the day, like your morning commute. You're alone. You may or may not intend for anything great to happen while you are alone, but you should consider the possibility that something might happen while you are alone. Jacob, of course, he's, he's spending the night in the camp, He's with, he's with uh, his larger company, but then he's specifically with his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. And he, he, uh, he takes them and sends them across the stream along with his possessions. And at that point, Jacob is left alone. Maybe he intended to be left alone. I don't know. Maybe he intended to seek after God in the quiet of the night. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. The fact of the matter is, is that he was left alone, and now we are waiting to see what's going to happen. And that leads us into the the thick of this passage, verses 24 to 29. And I'd like to make this point, that God will shape you in remarkable ways and prepare you for very difficult things when you are alone, if you yield to his initiative and working in your life. This, this 
encounter that Jacob has begins very mysteriously. Jacob is alone there in verse 24, but all of a sudden there is another man. A man, where did he come from? A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. All of a sudden Jacob is wrestling someone else for a number of hours. And, of course, we know as we read on through the passage, which we already did, as we get to verse 28, we, 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 we begin to realize that this man is no mere man. This man is, in fact, God. And Jacob acknowledges that fact after the experience there in verse 30 when he says, For I have seen God face to face. God appearing in human form and meeting with Jacob. God appeared in human form back in Genesis chapter 18, chapter 18, when he met with Abraham. And so for the sake of simplicity and shorthand, I'm simply going to refer to God appearing to Jacob in the form of a man as the God-man. The God-man wrestles with Jacob until the breaking of the day. There's, a, there's, a, there's an intensity and a protracted nature to this experience. And, and then in verse 25, the God-man realizes that he did not prevail against Jacob. And at that point, the God-man struck Jacob in the hip and injured him and put his hip out of joint and then in verse 26, the God-man says, let me go, for the day has broken. And, you know, uh, uh, the God-man is the one who is taking initiative. He's the one who began the wrestling match. He, 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 he is the one who imposed uh, a significant injury upon Jacob, and he is the one who initiates the conversation. God initiates, we, we respond. God invites, we respond. God moves in, we respond. What are we going to do? It's, it, it, it's kind of a test. What's, what's in you? What are you going to do in that moment when God is pressing in on you and dealing with you? What are you going to do? Are you going to stay there or are you going to run away? Jacob was tenacious and adamant that he would not let go of the God-man until the God-man blessed him. There he says, Jacob said in the middle of verse 26, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob surely knows at this point that his wrestling partner is no mere man, nor an enemy. An opponent in some sense, but a infinitely superior opponent who has within him the power to bless him. And Jacob will not let go until he receives that blessing. And at this point, the, the God-man says to Jacob, what is your name? You see, there's another matter that needs to be cleared up before Jacob is going to receive this blessing. Remember what's going on here. Jacob is there in the presence of the God-man, holding on to him tenaciously, demanding a blessing. 
Does that remind you of anything else? 20 years earlier? By, by the way, I, I need to say, I, I, heard, I, heard, I heard a number of years ago, I heard Ravi Zacharias talking about Genesis chapter 32 along the lines of what I'm just about to share with you. And it has it stayed with me for, for all these years. It's a very rich part of the background to this passage. 20 years earlier, Jacob goes into the presence of his blind father Isaac in order to get blessing. And his blind father asks this son who's come into his tent, who are you, my son? And Jacob says, I am Esau. And, of course, Isaac is not totally convinced, and a little bit later in that conversation says, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob says, I am. He lied twice. Jacob obtained blessing from his father Isaac. He really did obtain it, but he obtained it dishonestly. Now he's in the presence of the Holy One, the God-man, who is far superior than blind Isaac, who, unlike Isaac, knows and sees and understands everything there is to understand about Jacob. And Jacob will not obtain blessing from the God-man dishonestly. Tell me your name, son. What is your name? And at this point, there's, there's, there's no more pretense. There's no more disguise. Jacob simply acknowledges the simple fact, I am Jacob. And, and, and with that, in this beautiful moment of confessing the truth, the door is opened to blessing. I want to ask you a question. Like in, in, your, in, your, in your interactions with God, do you have the ability to be honest? Do you have the ability to express what you truly desire? I will not let you go until you bless me. Do you have the ability to tell the truth about yourself? I am Jacob. With all that that means in terms of my life history, good, bad, sinner, sufferer, all of it, can you be honest before God? So after, after Jacob comes clean and confesses the truth, then in verse 28, the God-man blesses Jacob, or actually, first of all, he, he renames him. He renames him. He says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel, the, the, the word Israel comes from two Hebrew words, one word meaning strives, and the other word meaning God. And actually, the, 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 the precise meaning of the word Israel is, is, is debated. Does, does it mean God strives, or does it mean he strives with God? But that doesn't really matter. The, the, the exact definition of the word Israel isn't what's significant here. What's significant is the significance of the name. And the significance of the name is described there when the, when, uh, the God-man says, For you have striven with God and with men and have 
prevailed. In other words, this is something that was characteristic of Jacob. Jacob had actually run this course. Of course, he had done it previously in relationship to men. He had had striven with his brother Esau in the womb, and then he had successfully outmaneuvered Esau for his birthright and his blessing, and more recently during his last six years in Haran, Jacob had gotten the upper hand on Laban on account of God's blessing. But now here in in chapter 32, Jacob goes toe to toe with God Almighty and prevails upon him. And again, I want to ask you the question, when when God is dealing with you, 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 you should not expect to have the exact kind of experience that Jacob had. Jacob only had the experience once. God is very unique in the way that he deals with people. But in, but it, but in terms of principles, when God is dealing with you or convicting you, I mean, he does this through his spirit and through his word. He convicts, he instructs, he encourages, he challenges, he guides, he rebukes. When God is dealing with you, do you, do you turn back? Do you say, this is too hard, this is too long, this is too intense, this is too costly? That wasn't Jacob's mindset or he would have been out of there. Jacob hung on, pressed in. He had perseverance. Do you have perseverance in your dealings with God that, that, that you might be honest with him, that you might receive from him the instruction and the transformation and the guidance and the, the life change that you need. Moving to verse uh, 29, uh, Jacob asks the God-man, please tell me your name, but the God-man refuses to answer Jacob's question except with a rhetorical question, why is it that you ask my name? And then we're told there he blessed him. What, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful, simple, simply stated truth. That was what Jacob had sought. He had sought blessing. And now, at the end of verse 29, he got it. God blessed Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed Noah and his sons in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. God, through Melchizedek, blessed Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. God blessed Isaac in chapter 25. And here, after a long night of wrestling, the living God blessed Jacob. And we know as we're reading through, reading through the book of Genesis, whenever God blesses someone, that blessing is never meant to terminate on the, the recipient of that blessing. But God's intention is always to, to bring further blessing and multiplied blessing and multiplied encouragement through the one who is blessed. And that includes you and me here today, that we would receive blessing and encouragement from God's dealings with Jacob. Now, Now that Jacob is blessed, presumably he lets go. (laughs) And the God-man recedes from the scene, and Jacob is left alone again. And that brings me to my third point in view of verses 30 and 32. When you wrestle with God and receive his blessing, the experience is exceedingly impactful. (laughs) If wrestling with God and, and receiving his blessing is not exceedingly impactful, then I don't think it, it didn't happen. Okay? 
but you see this impact unfolding in verses 30, 31, and 32. Um, The first impact is felt in verse 30, where Jacob gives the place where this happened a special name. He names the place Peniel, which means face of God, the face of God, and he, and he says, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Jacob had the good sense to realize that a face-to-face encounter with God might have ruined him, but it didn't. It didn't ruin him. God was gracious, and so Jacob stood in humble awe at the grace of God toward him. Now, what you need to realize is that there's actually a lot more in verse 30 than initially meets the eye. I want you to turn back to verse 20. Verse 20. Many of our English Bibles obscure the fact that the word face appears four times in verse 20. <clears throat> so, the, remember the context. Jacob has prepared this large gift for Esau, and he's sending it ahead of him. Okay? And here's his motivation. There in the middle of verse 20, it says, For he thought, and I'm going to read it with, in, in the, with the literal uh, references to the word face. For he thought... I may appease his face, that's Esau's face, I may appease his face with the present that goes ahead of my face, and afterward I shall see his face, perhaps he will accept my face. Do you you understand the significance of what's going on here? Jacob expects a face-to-face meeting with Esau. He's expecting a face-to-face meeting with Esau, and he hopes that that face-to-face meeting with Esau has Esau being gracious and kind to him. Jacob anticipates this face-to-face meeting with Esau, and he hopes to be delivered from the hand of Esau. That's how he had prayed in verse 11 when he prayed to the Lord in verse 11, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. So so Jacob is ramping up for this face-to-face meeting with Esau that he hopes goes well. God intervenes. God does something surprising and unexpected. God steps in and brings about a face-to-face meeting between God and Jacob first, before Jacob has his face-to-face meeting with Esau, which will happen in chapter 33. It's, it's as if God is communicating to Jacob and to us, Jacob, you need to meet me face-to-face first before you come face-to-face with Esau, before you come face-to-face with your fear. You need to experience deliverance from me in my presence before you venture forth into the hoped for deliverance from Esau or from your earthly fear. Hold on to God first. 
receive his blessing, and then from a place of blessing, then go and face your fear or meet your challenge or endure your trial from a place of blessing that you've received from the Lord. Verse 31, Jacob's experience with God has left him wounded. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel. Penuel is just another word for Peniel. It's referring to the same place, the face of God, limping because of his hip. It's kind of interesting, just thinking about it literally. Jacob is he's passing by the face of God, and he, and he hurts because God wounds. He wounds in order to heal. I want you to understand something. Everyone in here has been and will be wounded. It's going to happen from, from God, from the evil one, from other human beings, from yourself. You will, the question is not whether you will be wounded. The question is, will you be in fellowship with God in and through it all? And will you receive his wounding which is always life-giving. He wounds in order to heal and give hope. He bruises in order to bless. He breaks down in order to lift up. Don't take this God lightly. He has the power to wound you, and he will. But don't run away from him because he's the only one who has the power to truly bless you. Jacob carries the limp, the memory of God's gracious dealings with him in his own body. And then, as we get to verse 32, we realize that, that this experience that Jacob had actually went on to, to shape uh, the, the, the memory of the nation that descended from him. Our passage began with Jacob and his little family crossing the Jabbok. Our passage ends by referring to this large nation of descendants that came from Jacob and from Jacob's sons. And it's just interesting how Israel remembered, the nation of Israel remembered what happened to Jacob. They remembered that God wounded him and blessed him. They, and, and they they remembered it in a tangible way by actually letting it reflect their eating habits. Jacob was delivered before he met Esau. Israel would be delivered from its various trials and adversaries, and we will be delivered from our trials and adversaries inasmuch as we grasp the living God who wounds and saves his people. Now, we've walked through the passage, but we're not done yet. There are two very important things I need to share reflecting on this passage. The first one is, I just want you to realize the surprising grace that is on display in this passage. It is remarkable that the living God condescends 
to interact with Jacob in a way that Jacob can actually and literally grasp and hold onto and understand. The, the, the Holy One who dwells in, in unapproachable light in the heavens who is utterly sovereign and free to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. He cannot be controlled or manipulated by anyone or by any man. He chooses freely to come to Jacob in human form. And not only that, he allows himself such a limitation that he's unable to prevail upon Jacob, (laughs) but rather allows Jacob to prevail upon him. Obviously, it's all by grace. The God-man could have wiped out Jacob in a moment by a single word, but but it's, it's, it's the infinite deity condescending into the form of vulnerable humanity in order to be interacted with by lowly Jacobs and lowly Brians and lowly people like you and me. Surprising grace. The, the, other, the, the other thing I want, that I want to share about this is that the God, the God man's appearance in chapter 32 anticipates, see this is just a, this is just a momentary, a brief moment, moment when God uh, assumes the form of a man, okay? Um, but that anticipates that future day when the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who existed always in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men, Philippians 2, 6 and 7. And the Apostle John, what does the Apostle John say at the beginning of his letter of 1 John? We, we heard him with our ears and we saw him with our eyes and we touched him with our hands, this God-man, this Jesus Christ. This infinite deity who condescends into the form of a man in order to interact with lowly sinners like you and me. It's very fascinating to compare and contrast the experience of the God, uh, the experience of Jacob with the God man in Genesis 32 and the experience of the God man Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane. I mean, here here, the God-man has the upper hand in chapter 32, but, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, with the weight of the sins of his people upon him, he occupies the lower hand before his Father in heaven. But just think about these comparisons and contrasts. Jacob is deeply distressed, isn't he, as he thinks about meeting Esau. Jesus was deeply distressed and sorrowful unto death as he faced the the ultimate distress of drinking the cup of God's wrath and looking 
death in the face. Jacob was left alone. And Jesus, well, Jesus had his 11 disciples. Judas had left. Jesus had his 11 disciples, and he left eight over here and went further on with Peter, James, and John and told them to hold vigil with him, to keep watch with him, which, of course, they, they fell asleep. So for all intent and purposes, Jesus was alone with his father. Jacob's experience in in Genesis 32 was intense. And, of course, Jesus' experience wrestling with the Father, agonizing before the Father, was of great intensity. And then you get some really interesting uh, contrasts. Jacob was unwilling to let go until the God-man blessed him. But the God-man, Jesus Christ, was unwilling to let go of the Father's will, even if it meant the curse of God being poured out upon him. Father, if you are willing, if you are willing, let this cup pass, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The God-man would never let go of the Father's will. Jacob, after his experience with the God-man in chapter 32, he lifted up his eyes at the beginning of chapter 33, and there is Esau, and guess what? Esau and his 400 men are coming in peace. Jesus, after wrestling with the Father in the garden, looked up, and there, Judas, and a large group of people with weapons coming against him in hostility. Jacob got a wound to the hip. Jesus was crucified, suffering a shameful death on a Roman cross. After the experience, Jacob carried a limp with him. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he invited one of his disciples, Thomas, to to see the wounds in his hands and touch the pierced side. Wounds kept with him. And just at, I mean, Jacob's wound shaped the memory of Israel. Jesus' wounds define us. And they also affect our eating habits every time that we eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember that it is only through the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are reconciled to God and that we have peace with God. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament tells us that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shines forth in the face of Jesus Christ and in Jesus and in Jesus alone we can face our ultimate fear our ultimate problem which is our sin our guilt the just condemnation that we deserve from a holy God we ought to bear the wrath of God ourselves but in Jesus we have forgiveness and pardon, and reconciliation for everyone who turns from his or her sin and trusts in Jesus. 
Will you do that today if you haven't yet done that? It's literally a matter of life and death. And in Jesus, we can also face all of our other fears and challenges and trials and sufferings. We, we, we think we want to be strong, but we are weak like Jacob. And yet, the, the strong grace of Jesus is made known and made perfect toward us in our very weaknesses. So brothers and sisters... Hold on to Jesus. Be reminded of his great blessing. Respond to all of his gracious overtures to deal with you, to call you more and more out of sin and more and more into his holiness and to his perfect will for your life. For in Jesus, we have a holy sympathetic and kind high priest who is always there to provide mercy and grace for us when we call upon his name. Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your gracious working in our lives that that you would draw near to us and that we would draw near to you. That you would sanctify our hearts, our minds, our lives, that you would purify our desires, that you would cause us to trust in you alone, to surrender our lives completely and wholly to your good and perfect will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.